You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast, our first episode of August, coming off of what was just a whirlwind of a July for the Nittany Lions. 12 additions to the 2022 recruiting class along the way. We've got a couple to catch up on to help us do that. Brian Doan, National Recruiting Analyst with 24-7 Sports, will join us for a lengthy conversation breaking down the latest additions. Uh, Kevin Winston, the safety from DeMatha Catholic uh, in Maryland, as well as Abdul Carter, four-star linebacker at a LaSalle College High School here in Pennsylvania. Both of them committed on Saturday. Last time we spoke to you here on the podcast, it was Thursday afternoon coming out of the Christian Driver commitment announcement. And shortly after that, Tyrese Fearbury decommitted from the Penn State Nittany Lions. At the end, after all the shuffling, 24 commitments on board. This is currently the number one recruiting class in 24-7 sports composite national rankings. As I said, Brian Doan joined us to break that all down. No Sean Fitz today. If you're wondering why you haven't heard his voice yet, he is on vacation with family this week. Hoping Sean is enjoying his time. We're going to keep things moving here on the podcast with Brian in a moment. You'll also hear from Josh Pate in just a little while here on the show, breaking things down from a preseason perspective, what he thinks about this Penn State squad, what he thinks about some of the storylines in the Big Ten, conference uh, realignment, all those different topics that are heating up right now here and everywhere across college football. Josh has his finger on the pulse. Hopefully you've seen his program or heard his program, Late Kick, with 24-7 Sports, a huge, huge audience, and for good reason. You'll hear from Josh a little bit later here in the show. But we'll get things going with Brian, who's been a repeat guest throughout this 2022 recruiting cycle. There have been some moments of concern. You've heard from Brian then. Now it's kind of a moment to refresh things and look back at the July that was. Without further ado, it's 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst, Brian Dome. Brian, it's only been a few weeks since you joined Sean Fitz for a conversation on the Lions 24-7 podcast, but things move quickly around here, and I think the Penn State class has probably added six, seven, eight guys since that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is it's almost like it's back to normal with, with schools trying to wrap up their recruiting classes by you know the start of training camp, and I think you know, Penn State is well on its way there at, at, at 24 commits. And obviously, uh, what you guys wrote about having the number one class in the country right now, um, which I know Fitz and I had spoke a lot of, the, you know, about it. But, you know, when Penn State gets kids on campus, it changes how they're able to recruit more so than any other program in the country. So, you know, for, for Penn State, it's good to see that they're back to, you know, what they should be doing. Something you mentioned last year, the deep dark abyss of 2020 uh, about the recruiting scene was that Penn State was languishing in a large way due to the inability to have players on campus. And Franklin talked about that at signing day approach. The class didn't come together as people anticipated. Is that the most significant domino that has fallen for Penn State? Are there other things here? Because let's face it, we didn't know how a lot of these coaching staff members would handle the in-person aspect, the camp aspect, because it's their first go around with the program doing all this. 
Yeah, listen, it, it, when you're talking about programs at any level, it, it follows the lead of the head coach. And James Franklin is at his best when kids and their families are sitting across from him and, and he can really let his personality and charisma take over. And, you know, listen, these guys are at Penn State, you know, like Phil Troutwine, Anthony Poindexter. I mean, this isn't their first rodeo with with recruiting. And and they weren't hired um, because they can only do half the job. They can also recruit. And so it's just getting into the flow of things for them and and some of the new coaches when you're when you're dealing with actual kids on campus and, and recruiting. But so at the end of the day, Penn State has the formula. Great environment when kids get there. Coaches do an awesome job of making them feel like family and, and at home. And I know a 2024 out of Pittsburgh, Anthony Speck, a linebacker, was like, listen, I've never met Brent Pry. I haven't really talked to him, but I saw him. First guy I saw, it, it was like I knew him for a long time already. And you don't get that with Zoom. You don't have that um, ability to really look a kid in the eye and, and speak with them like you do in person. And, and so it's just getting back to normal for Penn State and, and doing what they do in normal situations. Penn State's class doubled in July. It was 12 coming out of June. And Brian, you reiterated something that Sean had talked about. We discussed in the podcast coming out of June. People were clamoring for the commitments. What's going on? Why aren't guys committing coming off of their visits? July exploded. We saw what happened. Let's start from the most recent addition to the class and work our way backward a bit. Abdul Carter, uh, you've spoken with him since this commitment came through, an in-state linebacker and a significant pickup at a position of need for this class. Yeah, it's a huge pickup because a look he, he's six four two thirty two thirty five and he runs into four fives. Okay, so that's a great starting point um, when you're looking at a linebacker, an in-state kid from Philadelphia. I know he goes to LaSalle just outside of Philly, but he's a Philly kid. Um, it's an area of the state where Penn State has done well in this class and and wants to continue to recruit well there, and they, they have not since some. Um, you know, the stuff happened with Hashim Young. And so getting back into Philly is big. But so I saw Abdul Carter play in the fall. Uh, first game I went out to see was him playing against uh, Delaware Valley up in Milford in the northeast corner of the state. And, and his size, strength, ability to run all stood out. And, you know, I, I think... Penn State got him on campus in early June and saw how well he ran and was like, Oof, we need to get this kid. And they did a great job of really um, picking up the pace and recruiting him, to be honest, and made him feel at home. And listen, Abdul and his family are about how can I get in the best position to be in the NFL? And they felt like being a linebacker at Penn State was a really good situation for them. and. It, He's a kid that physically will be ready to play when he gets to college. It's just a matter of picking up the system and, and everything like that that goes with it. But he, he's that's what Penn State needs to get kids like that. You know, it's there's there's not those elite level kids all over the place within the state. So when they have one in the state, they have to get them.
And you mentioned Philadelphia and the emphasis that Penn State's trying to place there. Uh, another product out of that area in Abdul Carter, Ken Talley, Tyrese Mills at Lackawanna out of that Northeast program as well. And we've heard from each of those guys, Talley and Mills recently about the presence that Dion Barnes provides for Penn State. And is that something that is consistently coming up for you, Dion Barnes? And how do you kind of view him? He's a young coach. He's a young presence on this staff. He's going to have opportunities to get new jobs down the road. Is he one of those rising stars in this region? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if he's if he's a rising star because he's already well known. I mean, people people know him in recruiting, and I think Penn State has a really good formula with with how they are allowing Dion to recruit and also learn the college coaching game. You know. You, it would be foolish not to have him recruit Philadelphia kids. I mean, A, he, he's from Philadelphia, played in Philadelphia, played at Penn State, and then he went back and he was the defensive coordinator at Northeast High School. And, yeah, they have Ken Talley and Tyrese Mills is in the mix and Abdul Carter knows him. And, and so does Keon Wiley, who's at Imitap, because all those kids know each other and they play together in youth football and they, they come up together. So it would be foolish not to use that asset. Um, you know, just like you would use Kenny Sanders down in, in, in the Maryland area. But, you know, Dion also is doing a good job of connecting with, with kids outside of the Philadelphia area, whether it's Jersey or, or Maryland or Virginia or whatever. He, he does a really good job with relating with the kids. And Penn State balances it well because you have to have somebody with coaching experience when you're going against some of these big programs. And that's where John Scott comes in, right? Because otherwise, other schools would be saying, well, yeah, you're, you're going to Penn State to play for Dion, but Dion doesn't have experience yet. So that's where John Scott comes in. Well, you're going to play with John Scott. So the relationship in a lot of cases gets built with Dion, and then you follow it up with, with Pry, Franklin, and, and John Scott. And so it, it just it's a formula that's working really well for them right now. Working well in Philadelphia, it's working well in Maryland, and we'll get to deny Dennis Sutton the huge pickup from a couple of weeks ago. But uh, KJ Winston, Kevin Winston, uh, joining this class over the weekend as well, just a few hours before Abdul Carter came on board, uh, was down to Maryland and Penn State. Got a chance to see him at the seven on seven event here about a month ago, Brian. I mean, you talk about long limbs, rangy. It's tough to gauge his safety in that setting, but a lot of the physical components are there. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, the one thing with KJ Winston is you want to know the speed, right? He did not run well at one of the camps he went to. Didn't run poorly, but didn't have like that elite safety speed. Um, but he's got so much other going with form and, and you watch his tape and he plays fast. So, you know, the perhaps the time isn't as big a concern, you know, as far as the verified time. You know, he gets to Penn State and you saw him at the at the seven on seven. And it's interesting in that aspect because <laughs> he was supposed to go to Notre Dame that weekend and Notre Dame canceled his his trip. And so then it became down to, you know, Penn State and Maryland. And it actually allowed him to get to Penn State again and in a more laid back setting where it wasn't an official visit where they weren't recruiting him the whole time and just kind of hang out and enjoy a day there. And I think that was beneficial for him. But listen, when Penn State is recruiting well, they're recruiting the DMV well. I mean, that's that's their wheelhouse. 
Um, when it, you know, the best kids from there are giving Penn State really good looks, and and we'll see how he develops. Does he stay at safety? Does he become a linebacker? Um, you know, you, you want to see his cover skills, maybe man stuff a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good pickup, and and one that Penn State will have to continue to stay on since Dematha is five minutes down the road from the University of Maryland and the former Dematha head coach Elijah Brooks is at Maryland now. So you know um they're gonna try to continue to talk to him. So I, I expect him to sign with Penn State. I'm not trying to freak people out, but I'm just telling you what the realities of recruiting are and especially with a kid from Dematha. From Dematha to McDonough, which has been a great resource for recruiting for Penn State lately. Now, look, Deny Dennis Sudden sure seemed to be heading southbound, Brian. Uh, at one point this summer, there was a lot of nervousness, anxiety going on on our message board. I'm sure you noticed that. <laughs> no, anxiety. <laughs> I, anxiety on the Penn State message board? No. Believe it or not, it was there. Um, that never happens. <laughs> the pendulum swings back, though. He ends up in this Penn State class. And uh, Sean you know, was not shortchanging this one. I think he called it maybe the most significant recruiting victory for James Franklin that is a big statement from someone like Sean Fitz. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I understand where Fitz is coming from on that. You, It's a school where, you know, you've had a lot of success there. It is a kid who's an absolute stud. Um, and you went against Alabama and Georgia. So it makes sense that it, it, it was a big win because he's a kid that can come in and play early and just be an absolute force on the, on the edge. Now for me, you know, I, <laughs> I never moved off my crystal ball pick or my confidence level because the one thing about this June, and I went into this June think, you know, with this thought process, if a kid had a schedule of visits, I was going to look at the schedule of visits and say, okay, as long as he's making all those visits, I'm going to wait and see what's going to be happening late June to early July, because I'm, you know, I've been doing this stuff a long time and I can remember twice where a kid left an official visit and was like, yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> I mean, kids leave official visits feeling great about the programs. And when you're talking about Bama and Georgia, I mean, they recruit better than almost anybody in the country. So it's always going to be a battle. But at the end of the day, I always thought, um, you know, Denai wanted to go somewhere where his family can get to see him easily play games. Uh, that can happen with Penn State. He was always remarkably comfortable there. And he has friends on the team and former teammates at Penn State who do nothing but rave about Penn State, plus denies a very smart kid, and he knows he can get to the NFL at Penn State, Georgia, or Alabama, and he also knows that in this part of the country what a Penn State degree means, and, and also in terms of marketing um, himself, especially now with the NILs and, and all that stuff. But I... I I know there was concern and, and it was warranted concern and it was legit concern, but I never got to the point where I was like, boy, he's going to go somewhere else. He's going to Georgia. He's going to Bama. I always thought that it was still Penn State, you know, I don't want to say in a driver's seat, but, but in a really good situation. And Denai has been on your radar a long time. He has. What do you think about his initial 
college fit as a freshman. You know, the big thing about him is he does look like someone who can get on the field and compete and play right away but versus maybe what he's doing on the field, 21 years old. Boy, I mean, that just, that remains to be seen in terms of a fit B how his body develops. Now he is already physically mature. He's strong, you know, wide shoulders, great burst. He's long. He's a guy that, you know, I, I know people talk about maybe being an edge. I think he's more of a strong side defensive end kind of a guy, put his hand on the ground and just get up the field and, and really put pressure. But also, you know, in, in certain packages, maybe drop into coverage a little bit, but he is a guy that I think can dominate at the point of attack and really put pressure on a defense to have to, you know, double him or at least chip him a little bit when he tries to get to the passer. But one of the things that's really interesting with Deny is, don't forget now, he hasn't played in two years almost, mm. right? He played as a sophomore. They did not play last year. They didn't play in the fall, in the winter, in the spring. He played a little bit of basketball, which is where you really can see some of his burst and athleticism. Um, we saw him at a camp in May, but he hasn't played for a while. So I'm curious to see what the, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see his development on the field and, and how he's really um, matured in that way, because he was tough to block as a sophomore. And I don't think he got easier to block in the last 18 months. This is such a unique dynamic. There's another guy in this class, Jerry Cross, top 10 tight end, I believe, in, in our right. rankings, who we haven't seen play live football since his sophomore season. He's a completely different looking person right now. And you just wonder what, what that's going to look like when they get back out in the field. No, and, and, and Tyler, you know, that's like, you know, even the kids that played, mm -hmm. you got to be careful on, especially in the Northeast or, or maybe the, the, the Northern Midwest, where even when they played, they didn't get, it wasn't like uninterrupted practices. They haven't been working out. I mean, a lot of these kids were just trying to shoestring it together as far as off season workouts. And so you got to be really careful on, on jumping to conclusions about kids who maybe didn't have the chance to develop as, you know, between your sophomore and junior year as now you did from your junior to senior year. I was going to save this question for later, but you, you bring up the kind of the storyline here how many compared to normal gems are waiting to surface here during their senior seasons laid off for kind of guys who either didn't have a junior season or it was totally blown up by the circumstances and it screwed up their development. It screwed up their visibility. There were no camps last year. Do you anticipate there's going to be at least a slight wave of late rising recruits? Well, I'm not one who likes to deal in, hypotheticals and I know all that, that stuff. <laughs> I mean, to me, I, I think you look at two things. Re Penn State, we talked about before, has 24 commits, right? They didn't get to see any of these kids last year in the camp setting. Um, they didn't get to see a ton of them this year in the camp. They got to see, you know, a, a fair amount, you know, like J.B. Nelson camps gets an offer, winds up committing. So you're looking at stuff like that where, yes, um, kids can can make a little bit of a push for it but at the end of the day a lot of kids out there couldn't get to camps i mean there's an offensive lineman out of virginia hunter mclean who i like a lot who didn't really get to camp very many places he had a short spring season so schools were already pretty far along in recruiting their classes 
I think what you're going to see, and, and I think a bunch of kids will rise up and, you know, largely be ignored because classes are full or, you know, the NCAA still hasn't said, uh, I, I should say the NCAA is given the idea that everybody's going to be back to 85 scholarships for, mm. for 2022 season. So you're going to have some schools that have like 12 scholarships to give, 14 scholarships to give. You have the transfer portal. So what I'm looking at is the group of five schools, if they remain patient, are going to get some unbelievable players where in three years, people are going to be like, how did he wind up at that school? How did he wind up there? And th- and that's going to be the fallout of all of this because what the 23s have going for them now is at least in June, they were able to get out to places and camp and be seen. And next spring, they should be able to get out and see schools and camp again. Mm-hmm. 22s didn't have that. So you were going on like individual workout tapes. Um, you know, one, one kid who wound up going to Michigan, an offensive lineman who was looking at Penn State hard and visited, Alessandro Lorenzetti, um, kid from Canada who plays in Connecticut. He, was, he started getting offers because he put out a solo workout tape. And then when he went to schools, he, he wasn't camping. He was working out. So when you work out, you cannot do one-on-ones. It's just you working out. So schools were looking at his movements and his athleticism and offering off of that rather than seeing him perform one-on-ones or in a competition. And so I, I think the whole situation, um, I'm not going to say it made it tougher. Just schools had to be more creative. Kids had to be more creative. And I think that is going to show this fall when some kids emerge and you're like, man, that kid is really good. How does he not have more going on? Back here in, in, at the Penn State class and guys who have been on the radar for a long time already, Nick Singleton was a huge pick. Katron Allen followed him a week later. Jaywan Sider, we know he can work some magic on the recruiting trail. This is the third time in four cycles now since he's been here, Brian, that they're going to sign multiple blue chip prospects at the running back spot. What did you think about that one-two punch that Penn State delivered at running back? I mean, it's fantastic. And, and I know... Um... I'd spoken about this before. Nicholas Singleton is an athletic freak. He's a kid that made it to the opening finals. I'm, I'm going to lose my timing on everything, but I think after his freshman year, because his testing was so ridiculous that he wound up going there. He, like, yeah, like that two or three happens. offers. Yeah. yeah. He had like two or three offers. I remember talking to him and, 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 you know, it was before Nicholas was comfortable doing the interviews as he is now. And it's part of the maturity, but it was, it's like, Holy cow. I mean, this kid's going to the opening just because his testing numbers were so freakish as a freshman. And so, you know, and then you watch his game film and it's just like, it's unfair. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it just watching him just obliterate competition is, is laughable sometimes because he, it's so free and easy with his speed, his vision, and just the way people bounce off of him. But Katron Allen's a kid that, look, he's a big, thick-bodied kid who I saw play live. I think people can get so caught up in how good Nicholas Singleton is that it's easy to overlook that Katron Allen is a really good running back between the tackles who, in the fourth quarter of games against a tired defense, will be very difficult to get to the ground. I I think Katron Allen... um, 
is being a little overlooked by by some people just in terms of his value to this class and what he can do in an offense. There are some targets out there. I want to talk about a guy who committed, then decommitted. Um, there's some confusion about where things stand with Tyrese. Fearbury has made it back to campus since the decommitment, which added to that confusion. From your standpoint at this stage, what is going on with his recruitment? Oh, boy. How long we have? Um, you know, there are a lot of factors at work with his recruitment in terms of, um, you know, how do I put this? He, he made a quick decision with committing to Penn state where I thought it was a little bit forced. Um, he's from a school that doesn't produce a ton of division one kids. He is a kid who really enjoyed the visits and always thinks of the positive of what a school is, is telling him. So if he's staying in contact with other schools and listening to what they're going to say, um, this is going to go on till signing day, wherever he winds up committing to or signing with. Um, I, I just think that he needs people in his inner circle who can really wade through some of the, um, the BS of recruiting and, and really help him make a decision that he's comfortable with. But on the flip side, the kid is so incredibly talented that schools are going to continue to push and try to find pressure points to get their message across and really make him listen to them. So, I mean, I think somebody told me one time that the, he's going to go to whatever school talks to him the last you know, talks to him last. And I think that's what Fitz was talking about. Um, and it's why even, I mean, we know he committed to Penn state and quotes were up a minute later. So we knew what was going on, but there's a reason I didn't put a crystal ball pick in because I thought this was something that could be very fluid for the next few months. Yeah. And the, the only new crystal ball pick in uh, this month, as of now, Steve Wiltfong in for a pit crystal ball with a five out of 10 confidence level there. Right. And I think, I think Steve had it on pit, which is what it sounded like. And then, you know, he was going to Penn state and it flipped. I, I, like I said, I, I think this is going to go back and forth for a while. I think I understand why it's on pit right now. Pitt has access to him, can get him there quickly because he lives so close He's got friends in the program, so it, it it makes sense. And I think right now, if somebody put a letter in front of him, he'd sign with Pitt. Well, we'll keep following along with that recruitment. There's others that we're still waiting to see. Andre Roy putting out a group of finalists this week. Jayshon Barham, another name uh, on defense. Andre Green got up here, a four-star wide receiver, top 100 overall prospect out of Virginia. His first trip to campus not too long ago. Emil Wagner remains a name to know out of Ohio, where Penn State's had success. I just threw a few names there. What are you hearing? There's not a lot of room left in the end here. Well, I mean, listen, with, with the some of those kids, you make room at the end, right? Yes, right, <laughs> you, right, right. You, you, you figure it out. Um, but to me, you know, Barnum's an interesting kid because everybody I talk to says Maryland or Penn State, he's going to stay close to home. There's some people who think that 
Penn State may be a little bit far for him. You know, he he plays at Baltimore St. Francis. And Andre Green is a kid that has made a bundle of visits, um, whether it was June officials, unofficials. He was all over the place. That's going to go on for a while. But he is a dynamic and exciting long receiver with great ball skills and burst. Um, so if you're Penn State, you'll wait till February for him. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're at 24. There's always a way to manipulate the count to get some back to the following year or, or whatever. Um, you know, and and in this day and age at 24, is it realistic to say all 24 sign? I guess it's realistic, but you can't bank on it. So you have to continue to recruit anyway. But it, where Penn State is now allows Penn State to be really selective and who they can finish out the class with. Right. It feels like the remainder of the 2022 cycle is going to be that selective process. So there's going to be a lot of focus here on the 2023 class because there's a lot of exciting possibilities. Of course, they've got Alex Birchmeyer. I read your feedback on that one, the scouting report and the comparison. You mentioned Quentin Nelson there. We relayed your scouting report if you want to do it for yourself because I I know guys (laughs) were pretty blown away. Sean and I kind of were reading through it and said, Brian did not mince his words here. No, I think the kid's outstanding. I, I think, you know, you're you're looking for certain things in offensive linemen, you know, as far as toughness, grit, athleticism, flexibility, size, length, mentality. And he he has all that. And he's also a state champion wrestler. His brother is a wrestler at Navy. Um, so, you know, why is wrestling important? Balance, flexibility, competitiveness, the drive to win a one-on-one battle, which is what you want to do on the offensive line. There's just so many things for it. And Birchmeyer knows who he is. I remember having a discussion with him. At first, we had him rated as a tackle. And he's like, yo, I think I'm going to be playing, you know, guard in college. Can you, you know, maybe switch me to guard? And I said, well, it's funny you said that because we had that conversation, you know, a day or two ago that that's what we were going to do. And he's like, well, okay, do you know where I sit? And I, I think he, at the time, or he still is the number one guard in the country. And that was important to him. And not in an arrogant way, but just in a competitive way. So he knows who he is, and he's a competitor, and he wants to be the best. Those are pretty good traits, man. I mean, I, I just think um, it's hard to come in and play as a freshman on the offensive line, but I, I do think he will have that chance, especially when – you realize that he still has two years of high school left and he's already physically impressive without being too blown up from a muscular standpoint. Um, I, 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 and he's a great kid. And so when you factor all that stuff in, I mean, there's a reason we have him in the top 20 in the country. With that 2023 class, is there momentum that is carrying forward from the 2022 cycle already? You got a bunch of those guys on campus together for Lash Bash. You've spoken with them. Where is kind of Penn State's brand and and the health of that in 2023? We know it's in a great shape for 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think it remains to be seen what what's going to go on in 2023 for a few reasons. These kids are figuring out, hey, man, I, I can now visit places again. So that's cool. And I... I really like going to visit places where they tell me how good I am and they treat me great. And so they'll enjoy that. They'll enjoy it during the season. 
worth making game day visits. And, you know, for Penn State, they're going to need to sit and take stock of exactly what they want in this class. I mean, we know 23 has some great offensive linemen, um, especially in the region and guys that Penn State is doing well with already. I don't think there's a bunch of kids who are ready to make decisions. I think maybe a few of them can make decisions in the next few months. But what Penn State was able to do in June and then the last week of July was get back to their recruiting formula. And for the 23s, that's get them on campus, love them up, get them familiar, bring them back to some games in the fall, get them back on campus in the winter. So is there moment? Yeah, there's momentum, but that momentum doesn't mean it's going to translate into commitments in the next few weeks. It's just the, the natural course is back, you know, in, in play or in place for Penn state. And the natural course is back in play for you. You'll be back on high school fields. There will be yeah. a regular season very soon. I, I know you've been waiting a long time for this one. Penn State commits that you're most excited to see, you're most curious to see maybe uh, in person, in action this fall. Well, I want to go see Deny Dennis Sutton. I mean, he hasn't played in a while. He's an unbelievable prospect. And they, I believe, opened a season against Gonzaga at their place on the Friday of Labor Day weekend. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to go. I mean, I just want to go see him now. I was able to see Keon Wiley and Ken Talley in the spring. So, I, you know, but I, I'd, I'd like to get down and see Birchmeyer just destroy people. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 but you know what? I'm not doing a good job of answering the question because for me, I just get excited going out to watch these games and see these kids. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't care. Um, where are the kids going? I, I, I just want to go see them, go see them play and see how they're doing. Like, I want to go see Caleb Artis play. Um, I was supposed to go see him in the spring, but his team had a bunch of COVID issues and it didn't materialize. So I, I, I think if I sat here and said, well, I want to go see this one and this, I mean, shoot, you tell me, should I not want to go see Makai Flowers, Bo Prabula, Nicholas Singleton, Anthony Ivy? You know what I mean? I mean, I, it's like every kid, that we'll talk about. I'll be excited to go see play because I want to see them compete. I want to see their their level of athleticism and, and ability. And so for me, it's just kind of fun to get out and see some things. And it's going to start with scrimmages really soon. We're excited to see your coverage from the road. Really, really looking forward to, to our next conversation here on the podcast. It's always just around the corner with you, Brian. Uh, thanks for the time and welcome back from vacation. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. And, uh, it was good to recharge. And once again, our listeners are reminded of just why we are always so excited to get Brian Doan on the Lions 24-7 podcast, been a frequent guest on the show, always chiming in with recruiting nuggets and updates. Uh, actually just had an update on Wednesday regarding Antonio Tripp, the four-star 2023 offensive lineman out of the McDonough School, which is, of course, where Denied Dennis Sutton committed from just a couple weeks ago. Uh, another example of, of what Brian gets done uh, in his recruiting coverage. We got Josh Pate coming up in just a moment, host of Late Kick on 24-7 Sports Network. In just a moment, preseason talk, big picture stuff, why he is buying into the Penn State football program in 2021, all just ahead. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're going to turn our attention to the national preseason conversation, some Penn State preseason talk right now uh, with Josh Pate, who does the Late Kick podcast. And hopefully you've seen it on YouTube. You've seen the show on Facebook Live. Josh, fortunately, this preseason, we're talking about football. That wasn't really the case last August. So happy to do that with you right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Yeah, boy, man, you said a mouthful there. So first, I appreciate you having me on. And secondly, I was talking to one of our producers who was kind of, I mean, both of us were kind of quasi complaining about a certain workload we had the other day. And then we looked at each other and said, man, we're kind of stupid because if you hit the rewind button a year and we look at what we were actually putting on a show this time last year, it was Kevin Warren's face plastered all over everywhere and even wondering how a vote was going to shake out. Were we going to hear about a vote? We were learning the names of presidents and chancellors in a conference, which I have no interest in learning the names of. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm much more excited to talk about depth charts and second year players. That's, that's my lane for sure. Yeah, and you've been doing a lot of that, and Sean and I have had the same conversation. We got a little overwhelmed in July at times because Penn State, you may have noticed, just kept getting commitment after commitment. But at the end of the day, something was happening involving football, and that wasn't happening last summer. So we're really excited. I want to start there because Penn State is carrying all this recruiting momentum right now, more commitments than anyone across America, and a lot of four-star, top 24-7 type of guys are you surprised at all about Penn State being able to develop this kind of mojo coming off of that four and five season without having to get back on the field and win some games? No, I'm, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm not surprised at it because I think James Franklin is a master at this kind of pivot. And a lot of the people would look at this right now because they are kind of shaken by most recently what I call Tennessee syndrome. And a lot of people may tend to look at this right now and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Remember, Tennessee got hot last year and we see how that turned out. Well, Okay, first, and I'm saying this because a relative of mine mentioned it this morning. Firstly, that is not even apples to oranges. That's like an apples to bowling ball comparison. So it has it has no merit with me. But secondly, I think James Franklin understood. He knows the temperature of the room. He's very good at that. And so he understood coming off last year, I think he and most reasonable people looked at the outcome of Penn State season in 2020, and they understood that is not proportionate to the caliber of program we have here. Having said that, it's still up to us to prove that moving forward. Well, the only difference, I think, in the approach they've taken internally versus maybe the approach that you would take in preview magazine culture is they knew they could do something about perception before they teed it up in week one this fall. And that's in recruiting. And we had a very, very unique sort of confluence of events with 
the way that June gave way to July and they opened up the dam and here comes the flood of official visits. Well, some programs capitalized on this period more so than others. And I just think at Penn State, there was as big an emphasis and premium placed on this period of time as any program did. Now, you could look at the Alabamas of the world and say, okay, well, they don't necessarily have to do it that way there. Well, you're right. Yeah, but there aren't many Alabamas out there. There are other programs that are on the tier two or tier three of college football looking to climb to that next rung. And this stuff matters, man. As much as people want to discount it, this stuff matters. It matters in messaging because you're the, the entire juice behind what makes you so good in this sport is your ability to recruit, attract, land, and develop talent. So if the talent is telling you we're going to dismiss 2020, we still buy into the Penn State product and the Penn State model and the leadership there, that's all I need to know. It doesn't really matter what I think. If high school kids are still on board, that's all it takes at the end of the day. You mentioned something there about the rungs of college football, and that goes on the recruiting trail that goes on the, on the field from September through January. It's been now three years since James Franklin uttered the great to elite phrasing after a loss to Ohio State. It's been Ohio State's conference since then, but they had an 11 win season followed by a four and five season. You've talked about kind of placing 2020 in a vacuum where do you think Penn State is, James Franklin is in that trajectory? Because there was a lot of feedback here in Happy Valley and nationally when he made that statement. Yeah, I, I, I think context is always important here. I mean, I think everybody pretty much understood what he was saying, and I thought it was the right messaging then. I still agree with it. Um, the way that I contextualize 2020 in this whole scope is I try and – I don't know how to put this the right way. I, I don't dismiss it. You can't dismiss it, man. When you have a football season and the records count, the records count. I just, I think that 2021 is so imperative because a lot of what I believe about Penn State, it still has to be validated on the field. Where I believe they are is I believe they're still that same caliber program they were. And that is, what were they, 11 wins, 11 wins, 9 wins, 11 wins. I mean, that's a 10, 10 and a half win per year caliber program, which is incredibly high altitude to be flying at. Unfortunately, sometimes you get measured against the backdrop of the Ohio States and Alabamas and Clemsons in this sport, and there are only three of them and about 127 not them. Uh, but, ha man, I, I think they're still at that caliber. Now, having said that, where I'm from down in the SEC portion of the college football world, there's a program in Texas A&M that's kind of in the same position that Penn State is. And people feel the same way about Texas A&M as they do Penn State. People respect the roster. People respect the coaching staff. They expect the, they, they respect the culture and tradition. Like they check a lot of the boxes, but they don't strike fear into the hearts of people because it takes a presence at the quarterback position to do that. And it's it's a hurdle. It's only one hurdle, but it's the biggest hurdle in the sport. And people keep waiting for Texas A&M, just like they keep waiting for Penn State. When is that guy? going to march on the field, whether it's a transfer or they develop a guy in-house. But when is the first time we're going to watch a guy at Penn State that six days before we play him already has us chewing our fingernails off on that Monday thinking, man, we got to play that guy Saturday because they haven't had that yet. That's where the elevation level of the program is. It's really good already. I don't think you can be I, or great. I don't think you can go to elite without being great to elite at that quarterback position. Josh, you know your way around a segue, no surprise. So that leads me right to where I was heading. They brought in Mike Yurcich, who's got a heck of a reputation as an offensive play caller and offensive mind. And then you have the quarterback who has now had three offensive coordinators in Sean Clifford. 
He's the same guy who was there last year. He was benched for a couple of weeks. There's a lot of concern here about Sean Clifford and his ability to take that next step. They've got Mike Yurcich on board. What does that combination project for you when they get on the field this September? Here's what's so pivotal about it. You can look at Sean Clifford and you can say that guy, even if he performs at his best, does not have the kind of potential that a Trevor Lawrence had or that a, a Mac Jones or Tua Tonga-Vailoa has. You can say that that's okay, man. Not many people have that. Or Justin Fields, guys like that. Th- those are few and far between. But that doesn't mean that you just toss out the entire season because Sean Clifford's going to be your quarterback. What you look at, if you're forward thinking now, because we're talking in that context, what I'd look at with Penn State this year is how much juice can be squeezed out of the potential. Because that's all you're looking for in a great coach. If Yursich is the caliber that we hope he is, then he squeezes every ounce of potential out of Sean Clifford. So the first thing that would lead us to believe that's happening is, do we see a level of play out of him that we haven't seen in his career? It doesn't matter if it's elite or not. Is it as good as we've seen from him? Because not, not just this year does that matter. If I'm James Franklin, if I'm this staff, I've also got potential transfer quarterbacks out there. I mean, you got a whole room full of, full of them at Ohio State. You got guys every portion of the country at any given time that could be looking to transfer, not to mention the high school ranks. And what you're looking to do is you're looking to package a vision. And it really helps you to package that vision to sell to a future stud quarterback coming to Happy Valley if you can say, look, this is Sean Clifford. And here's his body of work before Yursich got his hands on him. Here's what Yursich did with him. And the way you pitch that is, now all due respect, we know you're a little different skill set. So if we did this with Sean Clifford, imagine what we could do with you. When you start squeezing never-before-seen potential out of your current product, boy, it it pays dividends down the road on the trail. Sean Clifford's going to be 23 this season. We don't know much about the quarterback room at Penn State beyond him. That's a question mark going into the preseason camp. There's Drew Aller coming in the next class, top 50 range quarterback prospect. They got Bo Perbulo, the top quarterback prospect in Pennsylvania, in that same class. You have your finger on the pulse. At quarterback, is it more realistic to find your national champion Heisman caliber quarterback on signing day or through the transfer portal where college football is right now? I think it's totally fair to go case by case. And if you're Penn State, I would lean from this point moving forward, I would lean even more to the portal being the more likely destination. And the reason I say that is because of where these guys normally come from. There are certainly exceptions to the rule. Drew's one of them. But by and large, a lot of these talents are coming from states that are a long way from Pennsylvania. And so what could, let's just ask ourselves, what's more likely to happen? A five-star or five-star potential caliber kid from um, California, Texas, Florida chooses to go to Penn State. And if that happens, that would be great. Uh, Does one just happen to pop up in our backyard any given year? That'd be wonderful too. But I think the more likely path moving forward is a program like an Alabama or like an Ohio State. They accumulate four or five of them. It's happening in Columbus, Ohio, as we speak. And you can't keep all of them there. That's completely unconventional. And so we get one by way of the transfer portal. And I can assure you, when confetti is raining down on you and you've won a conference title or you've won a playoff game, no one is checking the roster to find out whether this program landed these players from high school or from the portal. As long as they're wearing that blue and white, that is all that matters at the end of the day. 
Josh, Penn State dove in head first on the transfer portal market this offseason. I know you covered that a bit on your show. Uh, ended up with six guys who have FBS experience, four of them at the Power 5 level. Is, is Penn State pretty emblematic that this is the way you have to construct rosters in 2021 and beyond? We're so early in this, and so I've really I've tried to surf the fence, not even ride the fence. I'm trying to surf <laughs> that thing. But I, I really do believe this. I believe it is still case by case. I remember a couple of months ago talking to a, a staffer on a, on a recruiting staff at a major power five university. And they said, we are about to just load up on transfer portal kids. And I said, Oh, so that's how you guys are going to do it. He said, no, no, we don't want to do that at all. Uh, we don't plan on doing that all that much in the future, but unique circumstances right now with where we are. And then what reality is out there just dictate that we have to do that because of the sort of microwave world that coaches live in now. I mean, if you were to sign a contract like it felt back in 1975 and immediately know, all right, I got five or six years to get this thing up off the ground. Well, then no, then you wouldn't really need to lean on the portal. But it, it's turned from five or six years into five or six months before we better see something. And so, I mean, a, a lot of guys just have to think front end, back end be damned in a lot of these cases. And you could argue with them. Do you know what this is going to do to your roster long term? And you could be right. And then they could look back at you and say, yeah, do you know whether I'll be here or not mm-hmm. long term? And then you got to shut up. But with James Franklin, you know, that's a kind of a different situation because he and his staff are established. But at the same time, man, we've we've watched him average double digit wins up there. And yet when things go sideways for a few weeks and you don't like what you're seeing, especially at a position like quarterback, when you don't see your program making the progression you want to see there. Man, I, I don't I don't hate on fans when they start getting a little restless because you look at the degree to which a Penn State fan invests emotionally and financially. They give everything they're asked to give. And so it's totally reasonable to expect a greater return on investment. And with that being said, I think they'll take a case-by-case, year-by-year approach to that. There may be some years that they barely even barely even rub up against the portal, and there may be some years where we're looking at it and saying half a dozen minimum. A key returner for Penn State, Jahan Dotson, Am I getting the wrong vibe here, or is he not getting enough love nationally? It's hard to tell sometimes when you're here on campus. I went out to the Big Ten media days, just didn't get the sense, and he was a third-team finish in the All-Big Ten voting last year. Just don't get the sense that he's quite got enough respect for what he accomplished, really from game one through game nine last year. Penn State had a lot of struggles, but he's got some speed that he didn't have when he got to campus. Is this me just saying, hey, this guy that I watch every day and focus in on every day isn't getting enough love nationally, or do I have something right there? No, you absolutely do. Dotson, if I put him in Crimson right now and I put him in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, he'd be on everyone's radar because it's not about the player. This is I can't believe I'm making this parallel for like the sixth time, but it's the same way at Texas A&M. It sounds like I'm a beat reporter in College Station, (laughs) but I just see so many parallels. Listen, A&M, if you talk to people – on the scouting side of things in the SEC, they look and they say, that may be the best wide receiver core in the conference to start the season that we see. And yet no one's about to tout Penn State's receiving core. And the reason has nothing to do with the wide receiver talent. They just don't feel like they're going to maximize it and utilize it properly. And I think a lot of that perception, whether it ends up being reality or not, a lot of that same perception exists around a guy like Jahan Dawson. You can go past him, man. Parker Washington's not getting mentioned any. And Parker Washington's a guy that I think if, if, again, Yurcich is who we want him to be and therefore Sean Clifford ends up being who we want him to be, and of course you got to get that offensive line to really gel and round into form, if those pieces round into form, 
then both of those guys, and they're not alone, but both of those guys can end up on mid, sort of those mid-year award watch lists that you don't see them littered across right now, at least like you said, to the degree they should be. Is there anyone else on this Penn State team that you're excited to see, uh, whether it's a young guy, someone coming back, a transfer? Can't wait to see Kayvon Lee. And it's funny because you, if you just look at running back depth charts, you see the names. But a lot of times that's all you see. You know, if you're, unless you're at practice or you just have a photogenic memory and you remember game film in your head, you don't remember the body types. And like Noah Kane versus Lee, those are two sort of different body types in that I know like Kane's, what, what is he like? 5'11", 220, 225, somewhere in there. And then Kayvon Lee, dude, when he, when you look at his listing, I mean, he's a jumbo back. You don't see a whole lot of him anymore, but he's also a guy that, you know, if they're going to put him on the field, they trust him to be versatile enough to where a defensive coordinator doesn't have everything telegraphed to him when he steps on the field. But what I'm excited about, with a guy like Lee, and then you extend, and you can say this about the rest of the country, a lot of these second-year guys, or, or maybe even some third-year guys, but especially the first, second-year guys, what I'm excited to see is how does a full, normal, quote-unquote, offseason affect them? Because I know that technically you were training this time last year, but there's a whole lot that you miss out on from really not being able to go full speed. And in the Big Ten, I know they had even more restriction. And so when you remove those kind of um, restrictor plates, let's say off your program, and you can go through full summers of strength and conditioning, and you can go full summers with your sports science team. I'm really excited to see from an explosive rate and a speed rate increase, what guys like him have put on that kind of stand out to you when you're finally standing there in your first open practice setting and you get your notebook in your hand, you're going, whoa, well, he looks a little bit different. Yeah, uh, heads up on him for sure. That's a, that's a name to know. He told us not too long ago that he was running a four four nine. Uh, we confirmed that was pretty darn close to where he is right now, speed standpoint, and that is a big jump from where he was when he got to campus last year. So uh, d- definitely a name to know in the backfield. Overall, Big Ten picture. You look at the preseason polls; it's very clear Ohio State a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite to repeat as the conference champion, despite having to replace a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. What do you see for the Big Ten? Is it all Ohio State and everybody else right now? Um, It is. I think it's fair to say that from a preseason point of view. But I do not think that Ohio State is immune to an early season slip up, nor do I think Clemson is, nor do I think Alabama is. We talked a lot about this on last night's show as you and I are recording. I, I think people are prisoners of the last image that they saw. And the last image you saw was of Alabama being a machine. And then before Ohio State got taken apart by them, you remember them as the machine that took apart Clemson, which you remember before losing to Ohio State as the machine that ran through the ACC. All of these programs have a ton of talent, goes without saying, but they have very big question marks. These are not small written in pencil question marks that they have. And the weird thing about it is, as much as they're going to all be favored by double digits in all these early games, man... Ohio State is about to have as much quarterback drama as you can possibly imagine at the college level. But even if the Quinn Ewers thing was out the door, it's it is not as easy as it looks to go on the road with a bunch of young guys, especially at the quarterback spot. Never started before. And you're going to go into a stadium environment that your first and second year guys have not been a part of at all. And you're facing a very senior laden especially offensively, Minnesota team that has the offensive line and running back personnel to shave a couple of possessions off the game to where, I mean, if you go minus two turnovers against them in the first half, 
that's the kind of game you outgain someone by 250 yards and still lose. And this is not the NFL. This is college football. So you lose one game, you're already on the precipice. And that's the kind of door that if it opened could give way to a Wisconsin or even in the division a Penn State. And then who knows what Michigan does. But it also, for Ohio State, it can make that Indiana game all of a sudden must win in the middle of the season. So I, I don't look at these conferences, contrary to popular belief, as just being open and shut cases. And we're all vying for New Year's Six bowl game territory. I don't think that's the way this season is going to play out. And I think it's going to surprise some people. What are your anticipated storylines that you particularly think are juicy in the Big Ten that you think will evolve this fall? Well, I think Michigan is the most fascinating thing to look at for me because they start the season by the second week. They will already have been an underdog and and to a Pac-12 team, no less, when Washington comes in there. And with the way that the spring was handled, uh, the, the latter part of last year was clouded with contract talk with Jim Harbaugh. And I mean, they extended him, but didn't really extend him. Everyone kind of gets that it's it's thin ice with hot blades time with them. I mean, if they were to lose to Washington, they've got at least three more games that they will be an underdog in before the end of the year. And that's at least three. And in some cases, they'll be a sizable underdog. I, we could go very quickly with them, best case, worst case. You could go to a great redemption story on the best case side of things to a worst case where we're not even waiting until the end of the year to make a move. And if there's movement at the head coaching position at Michigan, as you know, that sends a ripple effect throughout the entire sport. Speaking of ripple effects, can't let you go without asking about conference realignment. That is all the buzz. You've taken a major dive in the deep end on that a few times on the late kick. What does the Big Ten need to do to avoid falling behind? The SEC clearly is in a a superior spot right now, but what do you think the Big Ten's next move is and, and what's really at stake if they don't make a move? Well, extinction is at stake at the worst. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but you you cannot rest on your laurels right now. Now, preface it all with saying, I hate what's happening. So don't take anything I'm saying as an endorsement that I love this stuff, but it is happening whether I or we like it or not. They've got to be bold. They got to be decisive. And Fortunately for the Big Ten, if they understand it the right way, they're in a position to swing a really big stick right now, but they got to understand it. And what gives me cause for concern is like we just started talking about when we started recording this time last year, the same folks we need to be on the same page right now and be bold and decisive couldn't even get together on the messaging as to how a 14 person vote was taken. Oh, we remember remember that well. Yeah. Yeah. And it was (laughs) such a cluster and it's it's like my 4-H club in high school would have handled that better. And so now imagine how infinitely more layered and complicated and nuanced conference realignment is. And then here's the big obstacle in the Big Ten, that the closer you get to the situation, the more you understand. You know, someone who grew up near Wetumpka, Alabama, like me, I don't get this all that much. But you've got a crowd up there. I'm not blaming them. Priorities are priorities. But you've got a crowd up there that is going to want to focus 80-20 academics to athletics. And then you can look on the other side of that coin. And there are some folks up there with the Wetumpka mentality. we got to go 80-20 athletics to academics. Let's not pretend this is something it isn't. And you've got to get everyone on board. The SEC had everyone on board. And if they weren't, then it'd kick them to the curb. Uh, I don't know that that's the same situation in the Big Ten. But, man... Something's got to get figured out uh, because they cannot afford to kind of be in the fantasy draft and let the clock run out on them. And then they just miss a turn. We can't have that. You only get one shot to make the right moves here. And bringing it back to Penn State, 
when you look at a realistic ceiling, a realistic floor for this program here in 2021, what do you think? I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask for your predictions. I'm sure you're going to have them on the late kick coming up. But as things stand now, start of August, what do you realistically foresee for the Nittany Lions? Well, my goal for them is I want to make October 30th have Big Ten title implications. When, when we go to Ohio State, I want to make sure that that game has something riding on it. It's the same way down south. They're talking about Florida. Make the Georgia game have SEC title implications. Well, it's the same way with Penn State. I mean, they are going to be tested right off the bat with one of the most underrated teams in the country to me in Wisconsin. And even with them being rated top 15, I still think they're underrated. I'm very high on Wisconsin. But that is obviously a losable conference game. Indiana's a losable game. At Iowa's a losable game. But here's the thing about that. They're also winnable games. And so the huge swing factors that could already have come into play by the time they play Ohio State are incredible. I mean, I think that Penn State-Iowa game, for example, on I think it's October 9th before the bye week, that one is on the biggest Saturday of the year. First off, if you haven't looked at the calendar, it's crazy. And it may get lost in the shuffle a little bit. But that one for both programs, if you, you could take all afternoon. You could take the rest of the day off work if you're listening right now around lunchtime. And you could just map out different scenarios. Both of them, you could make the argument could be undefeated. Both of them could have two or three losses. And it's really interesting. That's why there's so many different pivot points in these seasons in the Big Ten. It's not like when you look at Clemson, if they get past Georgia, they're going to cruise to the ACC title. No, it's not like that, nor should college football be like that. So I think the ceiling is there is a realistic way they're undefeated when they play Ohio State. If everything falls, uh, there is a real, that's not it at all out of the realm of possibility, of course. So I think we'll learn a whole lot in week one. I know we say that about a lot of teams, Mm -hmm. but it's real with Penn State. We will learn a whole lot because yes, you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, but he's not working with seven or eight or nine new starters. Uh, you know, you've got a critical amount of new starters returning, especially at key positions like quarterback. And so you just, you really hope that you've got a spark that by halftime of the Wisconsin game, you look to your buddy on the couch and you say, I guess 2020 is a distant memory in our rearview mirror. Josh, let our listeners know where they can find your show. I know it's in a lot of different platforms. And additionally, what can they expect to hear in the next few weeks before the season kicks off? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yes, complicated. It sounds a lot more complicated than it is. So we do late kick live. Starting next week, it'll be three nights a week, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. But it's on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. If you don't want to watch live, that's cool. You can watch the replay anytime there. And then also, we do the late kick podcast, where there are two exclusive additional pieces of content per week that you only get there. And those numbers have gone through the roof for us, too. And then anytime late kick can be found on Twitter, Instagram, at late kick Josh. We have a lot of fun on those platforms, too. Always up to the minute with the latest on college football and and always offering up uh, an opinion that must be heard. Josh, was excited to get you on board at 24-7 a couple years ago. Uh, Ecstatic now. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I can't believe it took us so long to get you here. We'll do it again, I promise. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Promised you we would cover a lot with Josh Pate. We did just that. Man, he is a fun listen, a fun watch. I'd recommend everybody track down the content that Late Kick is producing Really just timely, timely material uh, on an array of of college football news, including what's happening here in Happy Valley. Thanks again to Josh. Thanks again to Brian Doan. We are back next episode with Sean Fitz. We will have preseason camp to discuss. Penn State football hosting their opening media day on Saturday afternoon. And of course, we will be live on location in Beaver Stadium. An opportunity to speak with players, coordinators, coaches, 
and a lot more going on as Penn State football reaches that four-week mark until kickoff on September 4th. For now, thanks again to our guest. Hope Sean's enjoying some time with the family. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.